Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, my name is Dennis. I'm back again. Uh, two weeks ago, I was here, and after that service, my daughter Elena came up to me and said, wow, I didn't know you could rap, which I guess means I was talking really fast and apparently with rhythm that I didn't know I had. So, uh, so I'm going to try to slow it down a little more today as we get into another topic on this, this Thrive series that we're doing. Um, as we uh, spend the, this sermon series really focusing on the Word of God itself, this text. And so we've talked about things like uh, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of this Word, um, the canonicity, the trustworthiness of this Word. How accurate is this text that we hold in our hands? Is this, is this really God's Word as shared with, through His prophets, through His apostles, and, and is it trustworthy? Um, but personally, to be honest with you, uh, I, and as I look through my life, I've never really struggled in those areas so much. It's really this week's topic, for me personally, is my greatest area of struggle over the years. And, and, and so the goal of this week is to look at um, the transforming power of the Word of God in my life. And see, when I look through my life, as I've seen and I've wrestled with times, I've wondered, why isn't, why isn't God's Word having more of an impact on me in my life? Why, isn't it, why am I not seeing that transforming power of it in my life? Or, or maybe in the life of another, why, why is God's Word not being effective in their life to transform their lives? And so it's, for me, that, that has been the question that I've wrestled with more often than the, necessarily the canonicity or inerrancy type of questions. Why don't we see that transforming power, or why don't I see it to the degree that I think this Word of God should have if it is genuinely the Word of God with power? And so that's the question I want to seek to look at today and to answer as we get into this. Um, we're going to look at two passages uh, to answer and see what it has to say on this very topic. The first one's in the Gospel of Luke. If you could open with me to Luke chapter 8. And I want to read the whole passage to start us off, starting in verse 4. And when a great multitude was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And the other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell onto the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, in order that the seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. And they believe for a while in time of temptation fall away. 
and the seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning to gather together as your church, to open up your word, to consider um, the power of your word, Father, to change our lives, to transform us into the image of your Son. Lord, I pray as we study these together, Father, that we would have tender and uh, fertile soil for hearts, that we would receive this implanted word, Father, that it would produce fruit a hundredfold in our lives. Lord, I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so first I want to go through this parable. Um, and this is one of the great parables where the disciples asked Jesus, tell us what this means so we don't have to wonder, because uh, Jesus very plainly and clearly goes through and explains this parable to us. Um, and, and so I like those ones, because they're way easier to understand. And so this parable... It's very clear, Jesus' first point is that the seed that this sower is going around and spreading uh, is, is representative of the Word of God. It is, it is this Word of truth that we hold in our hands that this sower is spreading around the fields and, and, uh, and throwing out there to grow. And so, the, so <clears throat> this morning, as I share from the Word of God, to the degree it is the Word of God that I'm sharing, I am th- casting this seed out amongst the fields, right? And the, and the primary, and even in this context, the, when he's referencing this seed, it's uh, the, the, the central truth of that is the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel message, right? So when I throw this seed out this morning and I share this gospel message, I share the truth that we as human beings were created in the image of God. And that we were created to to be and enjoy being in the presence of God, in fellowship and communion with the creator of the universe. That's that's who we were created to be. And that that God as the giver of life and, and the humans that he's created in his image to be in his presence and communing and fellowship with him, that that was going to be the experience of genuine life, eternal, abundant life in fellowship and communion with the creator of the universe. But as we study this word and, and as I share this, this gospel truth, we learn that, that mankind fell from that, that, that through sin and through um, our own sinfulness as we're born into this descendants from Adam and Eve, we are born separated from this God as sinners because he's holy and just. And so we are no longer in this presence. We are no longer in this fellowship and communion with the giver of life because of our sin. And, and so that is the definition of death. We are, we are separated from life, and so we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. And so as we study this word and as we cast out this seed, that is what we learn about who we are. But then we see the text of this, this word of life share with us that God himself takes on flesh as he comes to this world as the, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son And he lives a perfect life in perfect fellowship and communion with the Trinity of God as the Son. 
And he goes to a cross and he suffers consequences that he does not earn or deserve. He suffers the death of hatred, the death of, uh, of punishment of mankind, and, and he suffers the wrath of God in this separation of the way it's not supposed to be. And he takes that, uh, he takes that upon himself willingly because he loves us. John 3.16, for, for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus goes and he takes my sin on that cross, pays the price for me, and he now has the authority to offer to me a restoration, a reconciliation back into this fellowship and communion with the creator of the universe, where genuine, true life is experienced. He offers that eternal life to me freely. And he's able to do it because he has paid the price for the sins I have committed. And he offers it to any that would believe in him for it. We take our trust off ourselves and we put it into his finished work. And he offers that to us freely. And he redeems us. He purchases us us back. He reconciles this relationship that was broken between the giver of life and us. See, this is the message of the Word of God. This is the seed that the sower is throwing out into the fields. And I want to look at um, four different types of hearts. Because the next part of the parable, it says, those four soils are different types of hearts that receive this Word. So let's look back at the parable, because there are four types of soils, or four different uh, hearts. It's always the same seed that's being thrown out. It's the seed that I just shared with you, but the soil changes. And by the way, I, I look at this soil and I see that I've been all four types of soil in my lifetime. And, and so it's not a fixed type necessarily. We, we can be different types of soil in different periods of our life or different aspects of our, of our life. And I've seen all of these in myself. Here's the first one. It's the heart as the road. It's the pathway. It's the, it's the hard-packed soil representing a hard heart that doesn't want to receive this message that I just shared with you. And so what this text is t- telling me is likely there are some in this room that this is your heart. You've heard maybe this message before, and you, you barely paid attention, and, and I said it, and, and you trampled it underfoot. You walked right past it. It's on the hard heart of your, uh, uh, hardness of your heart. And it, the, the parable is saying it gets trampled first. So you have low regard for this word that I just threw out there to you. You have little regard for it. You've trampled it underfoot. You haven't slowed down to really consider this gospel message that I shared with you. And what this parable tells us is the birds of the air snatch it and take, away, take it away. And Jesus defines that as the, as the devil taking the word that could bring life to you and, and, and preventing you from believing in that and being saved. So this first type of the soil is an unbeliever who is not saved. And, and if that's you this morning, you're not doomed to that. I'm crying out to you right now to slow down. Don't trample that word. Slow down and consider that gospel message that I just shared with you. Think on it. Consider it to see if it's true. Because Jesus offers to you right now to put your faith in him and believe and that you would have, bring, have life now. 
But you can trample it underfoot, not pay attention, let the hardness of your heart prevent that seed from taking any kind of root and bringing any kind of life and moving on. That's the first type of soil. The second type of soil is the, is the heart as rocky ground. And the ones who are on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they don't have a deep root. Their, their, their roots in the, this word of God hasn't grown out fully. It hasn't matured. It hasn't developed into a strong plant in their hearts and lives. And so this heart of rocky ground is one where in time of testing or trial, it, 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 it withers up. And this trial could be just the difficulties of life. So if, I, if I'm not steeped, if I'm not maturing in this word, the danger is when I go through a trial in life, um, I quickly fall away. I can quickly not trust this word anymore. I can quickly, in the word, the text says, lose that faith that I have in this word because it hasn't taken deep root. And I know I've experienced that in my life. I remember back in my teenage years, um, I got exposed to a, a, a strange doctrine, and it really shook my faith in this word, and it caused me to lose some faith and really to hold God at an arm's distance for, for many years because of that. Because I was confronted with this, my, my faith was tried, and because I didn't have the deep enough roots to really understand this, this strange doctrine that, that came at me, I kind of didn't know what to do with that, so I was afraid that none of it was true and would hold it at arm's distance. And that's the type of heart that this text is warning us against. You know, we, we want to be the type of people who have firm roots so that this word can produce fruit in our lives. Because when trials comes or when arguments come or uh, when testing comes, I, can, I, I don't lose that faith. I don't lose trust in what this, the power that this word has in my life. That's the heart as a rocky ground. Notice, by the way, the seed is not gone. So my understanding of this text is that it's only that first type of soil that is an unbeliever. The other three are believers. The, the seed has brought life into that heart. So, so these next three types of soils are different types of believers and why for believers that sometimes this word doesn't have the transforming power in my life to bring about that life change that I should expect. Well, one reason is, is in the life of a believer, we could be shallow. We, can't, we could be not well grounded in this truth. And so when trials come, we're quick to fall away from it. We're quick to not trust it. We're quick to not have faith in it. The third type of soil is the heart full of thorns. Verse 14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Once again, the seed remains. It's only the first soil that the seed is gone and had no life come to it. In this one, the seed's there. It has life, but it doesn't mature. Well, why doesn't it mature? Why? Because of the cares of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life crowd out the ability for this Word of God to have the transforming power, the transforming effect in my life. I care too much about all the distractions of this life for this Word of God to really transform me. I care too much and fill my life up with the busyness of life. And, and I've seen this one 
probably more often than the others in my personal life. And if I had to guess in our congregation here in modern-day America, this is probably the one we most struggle with. It's having a heart that is so full of all of the things we're, per- we're pursuing, and the Word of God is just kind of one of those things. And, and by the way, this person hasn't lost their faith. There's somebody you can talk to, and, and they still, you know, they're, they haven't walked away. They're probably here in this congregation. We, we are this person. But man, life is busy. And boy, we're running after things. And, and with, for me, I, maybe I, uh, I, you know, I'm more interested in uh, finishing, binge-watching that season of whatever new show is out that's got my attention. Or, or maybe it's the cares of life. I'm worried about my finances or I'm worried about my business or I'm worried about jobs and, and all of life. My kids, i got to run and i got to get them there. And it's all good stuff. It's all important stuff. And I'm going through life and all of these All of these things become, they choke out the oxygen in the room for the Word of God to be able to mature and produce fruit in my life. And Jesus is warning us against being this kind of Christian. That's the heart that is full of thrones. Faith is not lost, but there's no room for the seed to flourish. We are too captivated by the things of this world for it to have its impact. And then the fourth soil is the heart of good soil. Verse 15 says, As for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. Now this word hold it fast, I think, has a similar uh, meaning to our memory verse from Psalm 119, verse 11, where it says, I treasure it in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I hold it fast. I grab on to God's word. It takes on a place of importance to me. It's, it's like the oxygen that I breathe. It's, it's, it's my lifeblood. I hold on to the word of God. It's, and it's in an honest and good heart. And we're going to ex- expand on that a little bit more in, our next, in the next passage here, James 1. But it, it's this heart that is approaching this word honestly with a desire to obey, which, with a treasuring of it because it's so important to me, that kind of heart is the one that produces the fruit a hundredfold. And it does it with patience, it says. There's this, in, there's this constance to it. There's this endurance to it. Um, the law of the harvest is this idea that the seed planted, planted now isn't going to be harvested for a, a period of time. I've got to wait. There's a, there's a patience that, that is involved is in engaging this, the word of this power, or the word, the word of God with power. And so as I engage this kind of heart, I patiently, I'm waiting for it. It brings that fruit a hundredfold. And so I treasure this word. I hold it fast. That's the fourth kind of heart where that's the kind of heart Jesus is saying where we will see the transformative power of his word in our lives. And so Jesus is calling us to be that kind, of, that kind of soil. Don't read this parable and, and think of it as a way to label people. It's not. It's a warning to us that, hey, we all can fall into these different soils. I, you know, I can easily be the guy who's being choked out in my life. And I need reminded by this parable to not let those things choke out the Word of God in my life so I can refocus on His Word. I can come back to it. I can lift it up and treasure it that I might not sin against Him. So, so look at these parables as, as warnings for us to be this kind of a believer who holds it up as that important in my life. So does God's word have transforming power in your life? And if it doesn't, why not? 
which kind of soil are you? What kind of soil am I? That's what this parable wants me to ask, and it's calling me to be that fourth kind of soil. So let's look at the second passage I want us to focus on in James chapter 1. So James chapter 1, let me read verses 18 to 25. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And by the way, I want you to notice how during the, in this section how many times the scripture is mentioned. This section is all about our approach to Scripture. It starts off by, in the very beginning, saying that his, his word of truth is what brought us life, made us new creatures, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Verse 19, This that you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Now, a quick point on this passage, when he says it's able to save your souls, James is talking to believers. He already said it's in verse 18 that that it was the word of truth that brought life to you, that made you a new creature creature. So this salvation that's being referenced there is not a heaven or hell salvation. It's salvation that's available for us as believers. It's the here and now salvation. It's the salvation of of deliverance of the power of sin in my life, the power, the defeat that I can experience in life as sin overcomes me. What James is, is saying here is the word of God not only had power to bring you life, to save you from death, and make you new creation, but it also has the power in the life of a believer to bring salvation. It is the Word of God that does that. It's the Word of God that has that transforming power. Now, James, uh, you know, Jesus used the parable of the sower. James is going to talk about the receiving the implanted Word with meekness. Notice it's another analogy of a planting, another farming uh, type of reference. What James is calling us to be, and this is his main takeaway of this section, is to receive with meekness the implanted word of God. So if I want to see the power of God's word in my life have transforming effects, what he says to me is receive with meekness the implanted word. Now what does he mean by that? Well, meekness has this idea of a readiness to submit to. It's a uh, I'm receiving it with meekness. It's, I recognize its authority, its sufficiency, its inerrancy. I recognize the power of its word, and I come to it with a humility. I come to God's word. In verse 19, and this is, uh, I think, key. When we read verse 19, or when I have in the past, I've, I normally think, all right, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to, to anger. Well, I have always thought that meant primarily as I interact with people in the world. 
So, you know, when I, when I interact with, with my wife, I'm being called to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But James here, I think, is applying it in the context of our interaction with the Word of God. So I think the primary application of those commands is as we relate to the Word of God. In other words, I think James is describing what it looks like to receive with meekness the Word of God. And here's what, I, what it looks like. I'm quick to hear the Word of God. So as I approach this text, I listen to it. I don't form my opinions quickly. I don't, I don't try to argue against it. I don't, I don't uh, automatically try to categorize. I first, I am quick to just listen and hear the Word of God. And secondly, I'm slow to speak. And I, what does it mean to be slow to speak in reference to the Word of God? Well, I, I, I think we can be quick to kind of maybe argue it or to say, well, that doesn't really apply here and doesn't apply that. Maybe it'll apply to that in culture. And I'm coming up with all kinds of words instead of just being quick to hear and slow to speak. And the third point, he says, is be slow to anger. And I want to come back on that in a second. I'm slow to, and this anger has this idea of strife. It's a stirring up of emotions, getting real emotional about it or, or, or uh, hyped up about it. No, a, a meekness says, no, I'm gonna, uh, with humility I come to this word. I'm going to get angry about it. I'm not going to argue and dispute about it. I'm going to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Next point he makes in verse 22, he starts comparing it to the mirror. And, and notice, uh, starting in verse 22, it, it, the, when I look in the mirror, the mirror is revealing me, which is interesting to me, right? It's, I'm, I'm forgetting what I look like when I don't do the word, right? So when I look in the mirror, I shouldn't be seeing my wife or uh, John Morrison. I don't see John Morrison when I look in the mirror. And boy, this word, John really needs to pay attention to this sermon, no, I need to pay attention to this sermon. This, this word is revealing me and my heart. And so when I'm quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger about this word, it's because it's revealing me. Which, by the way, is what makes me slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger because I don't like to be revealed like that. I don't like when the word of God exposes my heart. And so I will be... Uh, I will be inclined to be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger when this word exposes my heart. So I need the gospel. I need to hear that gospel daily. I need to hear what Christ has done for me. I need to hear the commands of Scripture to speak into my heart. I need to see how far short I fall to God's command. I need to be the one that sees the need for a Savior and be at the cross. The mirror exposes me. You know, that's a danger for people that teach God's Word and why James later says not let many of you be teachers is because I can be studying this Word and saying, oh, this will make a good sermon for the congregation to hear or this is a good lesson for those middle school boys to hear when I'm teaching downstairs. No, being slow to speak says, no, and I'm at this Word, what is it saying for me? Because I need to hear this truth. I need to hear it. You know, when I... 
when I look in the mirror, this idea of looking in the mirror, has to, it, it's only effective as I seek to obey it. That's why James says, be doers and not hearers only who, who deceive yourselves. Because as I seek to obey this, it exposes my heart even more. You know, when I look at a command of Jesus in, in John 13 that says, love one another, go and love one another now as I have loved you, go love one another. And I, I see that and I try to do it. I hear it and I try to do that in my life. Um, I see how far short, the more I try to do it, the more I see my brokenness and my need for a Savior and it brings me ever more and the Savior and the cross and what Jesus has done for me grows bigger because my heart is now reflected in this mirror. And even as, I, even as God grows in me and the fruit grows in me and I, and I more and more am able to love others the way Christ has loved me, I see the sacrifice that it requires for me to do that. I see the death that has to happen for me to do that. And that teaches me what Jesus has done for me on the cross and the great sacrifice that he made for me. So, so as I seek to do the word, more and more it is a mirror that is effective to have transforming power in my life. Because, because Jesus grows larger and larger in my eyes. And I grow smaller and smaller as I see my need for him. But if I listen to this sermon and I walk away and say, yeah, that was, that was really great. Or if I listen to the word and think that was really great, but I don't seek to do it. It's like the person who has walked away and forgotten what they look like. You're, you're not being honest, and that's the way Jesus says it in, this, in the parable of the sower. You're not, be, you're not dealing with truth then when you're just a hearer and not a doer. Because you're able to deceive yourselves into believing whatever. I'm able to deceive myself that, yeah, that passage doesn't really apply to me, or you know, that one applies to me. I, I, can tell, I can talk myself into anything. But try to do it. Apply it to your life, and that word becomes more of a mirror. And it can be painful. And God's, God's cutting work, his pruning of my life, that then that dynamic relationship I enter into with my Father, as I seek to be this doer, this mirror becomes effective. And I start seeing the transforming power of the word of God in my life. And so I come to the word of God, and I come with meekness. I come willing to submit. And when, when that mirror exposes something I don't like, I'm slow to speak. I'm quick to hear. And I'm slow to anger. Because I, my flesh is not going to want to respond that way. When the Word of God points something out in my heart that I don't like, I'm gonna, my tendency is to respond exactly the opposite of that. I'm going to be slow to hear. I'm going to be quick to speak. I'll come up with all kinds of reasons why maybe that shouldn't apply to me or, or excuses for why I did fall short in that way. Or I'll, I'll come up with all kinds of words. Or I'll get angry. You know, what, you know, why are you bringing that up to me? Especially if it's my wife that points something out to me. Or another friend that points something out to me. My response is going to be anger even if they're speaking God's truth. It can respond in anger. And so James is telling us, receive the implanted word with meekness. Am I willing to come before God's word in humility, being quick to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to anger, so that his word can have that transformative effect in my life, changing me, growing this fruit a hundredfold, not letting the cares and concerns and riches of this world choke out that, and not being shallow in my knowledge of his word so that any trial that comes along causes me to dry up, causes me to hold his word at arm's distance and not trust it. But do I come seeking to be a, uh, a receiver of this implanted word of God? And, and James concludes this section there, and he says in, at the end of that, that this man shall be blessed in what he does. And I think he's saying it the same way as the sower does, which the, there's a fruit production that God brings about in the life of somebody who approaches his word this way. So at the beginning I said this, this topic is the one that throughout my life I've seen as probably the reason I've doubted the Scripture's power. Because I, I, in my mind I think if this is the Word of God, I ought to see it have all, I ought to see it just have incredible impacts on my heart and on the hearts of people around me. And sometimes I question that. But what Jesus is teaching us, what His Word is teaching us here is that it's not guaranteed to have that powerful impact on every single person. There is an there is a approach to Scripture that God is calling us to. And it's one of meekness. It's one of humility. It's one of submission. It's one of a, a fertile soil that is tilled up so that this, this, this Word can grow up and have the impact, have that fruit production in my life. And, and it's interesting another study is to see the parallels between the word and also other passages that use the Holy Spirit basically in almost interchangeable ways. So it's, it's this dynamic relationship of the Holy Spirit using this word of God and ministering in our lives as I come to it meekly. God then does this, this amazing work, this transformative work in my life. So if you want to see the power of the Word of God in your life, this is what I think His Word is saying. That we come in humility. We come in meekness. With a broken and contrite heart. Listen to what, this isn't a New Testament truth. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 66. He says, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, this has always been what God has asked of his fallen people. He's asked for them to be broken in heart, broken in spirit, broken before God with open hands. Saying, here I am, Lord. You change me. Change me through the power of your word. Trembling before this word because I treasure it in my heart because it is so important to me. Let this take preeminence in my life so that the world's cares don't choke me out. Let me grow in my depth of this so I'm not a shallow uh, uh, b uh, believer, but I'm, I have depth in his word that, up, that holds me up through the trials of life. Come to his word broken, humble, contrite, and tremble before his word. 
And the power of God and His Word promises you will see with patience, you wait for God to bring about this transformation in your life. God to bring about and use that to be transforming power in your life, to bring about that fruit production, to bring about those blessings that James says. God's Word does have the power to accomplish that in our hearts. And so we, as we come broken before Him, this is back to why I preached the Gospel. Because when we're broken and contrite, and the more I seek to obey, and, I, and it becomes a mirror in my life, and it shows me even more broken I recognize myself to be, I learn to preach my, the Gospel to myself daily. Why? Because I need it. I need it daily. I fall so short. And it doesn't bring condemnation. I, I love that James says, when I peer intently into the law of liberty, there's a freedom that is found there. And that seems counterintuitive. But this is what God's Word is saying. There is a freedom found in peering and, and going through this and approaching God's Word this way. I find freedom. Because there is no condemnation for me. It brings me back to the cross. It, it ray lifts us up Jesus as preeminent. I see His glory. I see my brokenness. And there's no condemnation. That brings liberation. And that has the power to transform me in my life. And so, as we go through this thrive focus... God's Word is authoritative. It is sufficient. It is genuine. We have the real deal in our hands. But it has also the power to transform us. It is the source of transformation in our lives. If we want to thrive, what I think God's Word is saying is our approach to Scripture matters. It matters how we come to this Word if we want to thrive. And the way we come to His Word is with fertile hearts. Humble. Meekly. Being quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. And so, I pray for every one of us as we go through this week, this week, and let me close in prayer and pray for us, that we would be this kind of believer. That our hearts would be humbled in this way before His Word. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much again for this, for your word. Lord, the power, Lord, that we could hold your, your word in our hands, Father, that is powerful. Lord, that can change hearts, that can change lives, that can bring life to the dead, that can bring fruit into our lives, that can transform us into the to be more and more like Christ. Lord, the power that is there, Father, I pray for each of us, Father, that Fellowship Bible Church, that we would be a, a people marked by meekness, coming before Your Word in submission, lifting it up, submitting to it, growing in our depth and understanding of it, growing in our relationship with You, falling more and more in love with You, Father, as we, as we see how broken we are, and how great and majestic and beautiful you are. Father, I pray that we would all see the transformative power of the implanted word of God in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.